I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod. Happy Monday. I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Nunes, my co-host, my compadre, my Atlantic homie, as we tell each other sometimes when we're drunk. How are you doing today, Brendan? I'm doing good, man. Uh, just kind of home from visiting a limited amount of family in a safe way uh, for Christmas and excited the basketball's on, man. And Celtics basketball specifically, um, it was an interesting first two games. Um, you know, we definitely pointed out that it was a difficult start to the schedule for the C's. Um, and that turned out to be very true, especially a uh, yeah, the notable thing for me was this was this two center lineup, man. Yeah, I mean, it shocked me in game one, and then because of Rob Williams being injured in game two, it shocked me more. I did not expect Brad Stevens to run with that two big lineup against the Nets when there was no big off the bench that could shore up that second unit. Yeah, and like I mean, especially against Brooklyn, like their four is Kevin Durant. I. I Tristan Thompson isn't guarding Kevin Durant. Like I get that is Grant. Uh, this is a question for you, I guess. Is Grant Williams a better option on KD than Tristan Thompson? I feel like he's probably a little bit more mobile, but no, that should never be the option. You should never put Grant Williams on KD when Tristan Thompson's on the roster. What about Marcus? Is Marcus just too small? I mean, we've seen smart guard, bigger guys and fives. He's had time on Embiid and stuff, but when you, Embiid is pull-up shooter. Yeah, that was exactly the point I was about to make. When you Embiid isn't as deadly pulling up as what KD is, and I feel like you do need that length when guarding KD to, and because of that high release, you definitely need that length to even bother that shot. Someone like Marcus, he's shooting right over the top of him, and there's nothing Marcus can do about it. Yeah. So this is where I come back to uh, Jalen. I really think that Jalen should have gotten more minutes covering KD. Um, I know he was kind of chasing around Joe Harris, and He's one of the better guys at running through screens um, or, or even Tatum, who I, I know I'd rather, you know, in a Giannis S faction, have him outside of the action. That way he can kind of just wreck havoc off ball uh, weak side. But yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see both the Jays get a little bit more of a chance covering KD. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like, Jalen would have probably done a better job than what Thompson would have. But Thompson's got that strength. He's got that wingspan. I mean, look, when you're guarding KD, you're not trying to shut him down because that's not possible. You're trying to contain him and make sure he doesn't go off like he did in the third. That was the biggest thing for me was I feel like they'd done a really good job of putting KD in situations that weren't as comfortable as what he'd hoped they would be. And then in the third, he just found a way to get to his spots whenever he wanted. And he found a way to get the switches that he needed in order to have favorable matchups to pull up for those shots. Jalen for me is probably the Celtics best option moving forward for guarding pull up guys like KD. He's got the length, he's got the strength and his defensive IQ has taken quite a big jump over the last few seasons. But again, you can't really expect anybody to be shutting KD down when he was playing like he did. Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's KD is probably the best scorer in the league, um, especially with that length he's working with. And yeah, I just don't know that, you know, it, it was just ISO after ISO on Tristan Thompson. And like, I get that you don't have that many options, but I feel like JB was the obvious one. Um, really would have liked to see them go there, but yeah, I, I don't mind. And when you're talking about the first game, though, against Milwaukee, I think it's a great lineup, actually, because, you know, the idea is that it's a defensive lineup, obviously, right? Because um, you're sacrificing offense with the spacing that you have going on clearly. Um, although I'm not sure, you know, say it was Grant Williams and um, Tristan Thompson. Is the spacing really that much better than Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson? I don't know. Um, Grant does more things on the offensive end than Tice does outside of shooting. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a defensive lineup is the point of these two centers, Thompson and Tice playing together. And when it's a team like Milwaukee, where, you know, this whole Giannis, like build a wall to stop him in transition and you're fine with him taking jumpers, but you want to limit him getting to the paint. Like that's where this lineup makes a lot of sense to me. So I just think that like, there's, there's going to be moments of it. And I've kind of thought that, you know, there's one starting spot that while Kemba's out is probably going to be a rotating piece 
Um, and Milwaukee was a spot where I thought the two centers fit. Brooklyn wasn't. Yeah, so Tice has played some four right in Europe as well. So it's not like that position's alien to him. And he's definitely been a little bit more free with his three-point attempts. He hit a couple against Milwaukee. I still felt like he was a little bit hesitant against Brooklyn. There was a couple of opportunities I saw where I was like, Tice just needs to pull the trigger on that. Don't second guess it. Don't look for options before making a decision to pull the three. If you spot that room when you receive the ball, shoot off the catch and make make guys respect you. If you're going to be playing more four this year alongside Thompson, then you need to demand respect from the three-point line. Not take it because it's the only option left. Take it because it's the first option available when there's space. And that, to me, is going to be the difference between this two-big lineup being a success or this two-big lineup being something that Brad Stevens experiments with and then decides it's not going to work. And then it's the same with Grant Williams. Grant is, um, I'm very comfortable with Grant pulling up from the corners now, but I'm just not sure his range is there from the wing. The extra few feet seem to throw him off a little bit. So it would be the same thing there. Demand respect on the three-point line. That's going to enable both of those guys to attack closeouts. It's going to make defending the dribble handoffs a lot more difficult for teams as well. If, if the guy facilitating from the dribble handoff is a three-point threat, that's why it worked so well without Horford back when, back when Horford was in green. And to me, that's going, that is the biggest caveat to this entire, and my wife's looking at me because I keep using the word caveat. That's the biggest caveat to this entire two-big lineup is, can you shoot freeze consistently and regularly enough to make defenses respect that pull-up jumper? Yeah, and you know what What really has impressed me for Grant in these first two games um, has been the passing from him, actually. I think that he has more to him, obviously, than Tice, um, but like there was definitely times he was pump faking um, at the three-point line and then putting the ball on the floor and making one or two dribbles, and he threw a nice lob pass that was an and-one to Time Lord in game one. Um, I've seen him you know, hit the guy in the corner while he's reading the second level of the defense. Like there's actually some passing going on. You know, you see a little bit of sets that are kind of like eerily similar to uh, what was ran with Al Horford. Like, I think there's a little bit of passing that could be going on with Grant here and his offensive game is like, has some variety to it. I mean, I've been tweeting about Grant being used in a Horford role for a few, for about a week now. And another thing Grant's added to his game that I kind of pointed out a few days back was the fake DHO that he's using because they're using him as like a an offensive fulcrum point. So they use him in DHOs. They use him as like um, a metronome in the middle. So you feed, pass, instead of going for a swing pass, you'll pass to Grant to move the ball on. What's happening is he's running these fake DHOs off the wing. And he'll, what he'll do is he'll get the ball on the wing. He'll have whoever's in the corner cut, um, cut do like a curl off that corner onto the wing and Grant will fake the DHO and then turn he like drop his shoulder and drive. And he's been getting quite a lot of success from that because teams are biting on the DHO and it's opening up a driving lane for Grant. And once Grant gets towards the post, he's got quite a, quite a decent array of moves to get the finish. So there's a lot to like from Grant. I feel like his IQ is being utilized a lot more on offense than what it was last season. I feel like we're seeing, as you say, we're seeing some growth in terms of passing ability I mean, maybe that baby Horford tag he had early last year wasn't too far off the mark. But again, this is only two games in at the moment. Guys, if you're listening, we're recording this before the Indiana game today. Uh, So when you hear this, there will be a third game to take that sample size from. But at the moment, I feel like that that Brad Stevens is utilizing that IQ a lot more than what he has done previously. And maybe that's because Rob Williams has been out for game two. Maybe it's just because he's realized what he's got in Grant Williams in terms of offensive and defensive IQ and playmaking ability. I think Grant also just looks a little more comfortable. He looks slowed down. Um, You know, rookies often look just rushed um, and Grant just seems to be a little bit more in control and like he's able to read the floor a little bit better than he was, which I'm sure just comes with experience watching film and and just reps in a year in the league uh, really year and a half probably is what it feels like for these guys. Um, so yeah, I think that he also just got a little bit more comfortable and I think there's going to be nights where he is the more suitable, um, starting four. and yeah, man, I think that part of it for me is that I don't want to see a lineup that is Jeff Teague, Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams. Um, I don't know about you, but right now I'm like, I get the 
appeal of Time Lord on the defensive end, but I kind of view him as the offensive center on the team. Um, that adds a really interesting aspect with vertical spacing um, on that end of the floor. And he's got some playmaking to him as well, but the defense leaves a lot to be desired and Teague and Pritchard are not good on that. And either I've loved Teague's offense, actually. I think that when Tatum's not on the floor, Teague needs to be out there, but yeah, I, I really, part of my hesitance with this starting lineup of Thompson and Tice is I really want one of them anchoring the second unit. Um, if, if you're rolling out guards that are not very good defensively, like a Teague Pritchard. Yeah, I mean, that Teague Pritchard Time Lord lineup is a, it's a disaster waiting to happen, right? I mean, we saw bits of it against the Nets. Sorry, no, we didn't. We saw the Teague um, Pritchard part of it against the Nets. There's just so much defensive ineptitude on that lineup that it puts Brad Stevens in a really sticky situation. I kind of think that he might start with that two big lineup and then stagger the bigs the same way he does with the, like, you know, the wing tandem of Jalen and Jason, maybe staggering it that way is good because it gives you a solid foundation to get off on the right foot. But then it also means you can shore up the bench lineup. There's no way on earth he can roll out a Tristan Thompson and Rob Williams start two big man lineup because the spacing on that would be absolutely disgustingly poor. I'm I'm less concerned. And and I don't think you could run Tice and Time Lord because Tristan Thompson's a, kind of light on his feet, right? Like he's known as a switchable guy. And I don't know if either one of Thompson or I'm sorry, Tice or Time Lord are guarding fours. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is as well, when you've got um, Thompson on the floor, Thompson can operate towards the perimeter as well. You know, he can facilitate, he can, he's a better role man in my, in my opinion than what Rob Williams is. Rob Williams rolls really well off screens but he doesn't understand when to cut or when to set a ghost screen or when to slip at the same level as Thompson does. You saw it against the Nets. Thompson would come out, he would um, fake a screen, which is a ghost screen, and then roll hard to the rim. With Rob Williams, Rob Williams would take eat the contact off that screen first, which then slows his roll down towards the hoop. And then obviously the play becomes a lot slower. Maybe it breaks down, maybe it doesn't. There's a lot to like about Time Lord, especially as a vertical spacing role man. But when you're asking him to start playing dummy sets and things like that, I just, I just don't have the confidence in his IQ. Yeah. And then, you know, the other guy that I kind of briefly mentioned that I want to talk about, get your thoughts on a little bit, is uh, Jeff Teague, who I think played really well in these first two games for Boston, um, specifically the Milwaukee one where, you know, he ended up with 19 points, so 7 of 15 from the field, 4 of 4 from three, um, four assists, no turnovers in 25 minutes. And, you know, I've had a lot of concerns on what the offense is going to look like. I think everyone has with Tatum off of the floor. And, you know, very early on, I'm kind of thinking that lineups with Teague and Jalen Brown won't be horrible. There were moments of like, you know, Teague looks like he can kind of create for himself a little bit. And obviously Jalen as well, but I think we'll get to Jalen in a sec. I really like the offense that you get from Teague, and I think he's going to be a really important factor when Tatum's off of the floor. Yeah, Teague is, um, look, he's a vet. He, he, he's been a borderline all-star for the majority of his career as far as I'm concerned. What I don't like is the inconsistency though, right? We saw it during his second stint with Atlanta last season, and then we saw it going from um, Milwaukee to Brooklyn this year where, sorry, this last week, where you can see Teague become this like ridiculously reliable offensive outlet to a guy that's taking shots and is just struggling to make them. He still favors that scoop layoff, which I'm just not a fan of at his size and build. You can't protect the ball enough to go for that scoop layoff at your size. And we saw that kind of work to his detriment against Brooklyn. So while I feel like he's definitely going to be an upgrade on Wanamaker in terms of offensive output throughout the season, I'm not going to be shocked if he has more games where he struggles to convert his opportunities like he did against Brooklyn. Yeah, let me tell you, I didn't realize he had zero in that Brooklyn game. That's I what I mean, low, dude. It's gonna I be, didn't know it was zero. It's going to be inconsistent, dude. We're going to have games where he goes off for 20, and then there's going to be games where he struggles to get six. My problem yeah. is if you're struggling to score, I'm okay with that. If you're affecting the game through your your facilitation, your playmaking, are you operating smart in terms of when you're cutting, when you're setting pin downs, if you're coming off pin downs, which way are you curling? When I don't see any of that and you're struggling to score because your entire remit is to be this offensive spark plug off the bench, yeah. that's where my concerns are. I feel like it, what you get from Teague is high-level scoring, but at a very inconsistent rate, which has kind of plagued him over the last few years. 
I don't see that changing this season either, to be honest. Yeah, and I think the thing with the whole inconsistent scoring and how that affects, like you're saying, you know, you would really want to see him impact the rest of the game, even when the shot's not falling. But I think that, you know, at this point in his career, when people see the shot not falling for Teague, you just don't respect him that game in the same way that you normally would. And that allows him much less playmaking opportunity. But how much value does that add then to the Celtics compared to Brad Wanamaker, who was never too greatly respected but you knew he was going to be consistent every game do you favor the offensive games where Teague is going to give you 20 and fate and think that has more value over say say what say it's a normal 82 game season and he can get you 20 on 48 of those games yeah do you value that more than an 82 game consistent performance from Brad Wanamaker offensively I do because of what the lineup that Boston's rolling out there um, especially with no Kemba for a little while. Like, they they need the creation really bad. Yeah, and I agree. I agree, but it is, it's definitely a point. It's a good question. Need, it's something you need to explore, in my opinion. Like, I agree that Brad Wanamaker might be in his 30s, but he's still a, rare, a fairly young NBA player in terms of experience, where you're bringing in a guy like Jeff Teague that's been in the league his entire career. He hasn't had those stints abroad. He hasn't had to claw his way into the league. And that experience is valuable within itself. So I'm cool with him having these down games. But again, he needs to find a way to create for others when his shot isn't giving him the gravity to do so. Definitely. And a guy that really needed to do that throughout his career and is going to have a lot of opportunity to do that this year with, you know, the the theme has been like these very defined roles. And that role for, for Jalen is, you know, getting a lot of shots up and, to lead the team in in shot attempts in game two against Brooklyn. And then in the game against Milwaukee, he uh, ended up second, just four shots behind Tatum. I mean, you're definitely seeing the offense run through him a little more. And I didn't know if I was going to feel great about it. But so far, he hasn't forced as much as you're kind of used to. Like, while it is getting run through him, it's fairly natural, I feel like. And he's done a decent job of hitting his shots, like you saw especially in that fourth quarter of the Brooklyn game. Um, obviously, him and Tatum both just became pretty much the only two options. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and um, I'm going to premise this by saying, to begin the season, Jalen Brown was my most improved candidate, and I'm going to stick with that after two games. Um, what I will say is what we're seeing now is for all the improvements Jalen's made, he's going to be spending a large portion of the season and probably his career at the charity line if he continues to drive with the aggression that he does, right? So yeah, I'm going to want to see his free throw conversion rate improve personally. I feel like he's still a solid free throw shooter, but if he's going to be attacking the rim this often and driving the lane as ferociously as what he has the last two games, if that's going to be a staple of the Celtics offense this year and he's going to be their primary penetrator and draw fouls at the rate he has been, then getting him to uh, high 80s, low 90s in terms of free throw conversion is going to be what takes him to that next level again because teams are going to be petrified when he drives then. But in terms of what we've seen from him, the playmaking still feels a little forced at times, but his shot selection, knowing when to drive, knowing when to um, attack the rim and draw the foul, I think his decision-making has been impeccable over the first few games. Yeah, I mean, to, to lead the team in scoring in, in the first game, he led the team in both games, and have zero turnovers is not typical. Jalen Brown, only two turnovers in the second game. These are some of his high use, more high-usage games of his career already. Um, I'm with you. I want to see the free throw percentage increased. I think that's a big step for him for sure. But, you know, he, he, he did fine in the first two games. You know, first game, he knocked down four of four. Second one, five of nine. That one is not great. But, you know, you knock down one more. You don't feel horrible about it, right? Like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. But I think that, you know, it's a, it's a real possibility for him as well. Yeah, and I mean, the one thing you need to put stuck into is these two high usage games where he's led the team in scoring have been against the two, in my opinion, the two best teams in the East. So what's he going to do to a team like Indiana when he's on this type of run? What If he, if this isn't fake, if this is real, if what we're seeing from Jalen Brown now is what Jalen Brown is this year, 
then the lower teams in the East and the West are going to get terrorized by this guy as he drives. And that's going to, but I want to see Jay, I want to see Jason Tatum now figure out how to play off Jalen when he's operating as that penetrating drive guy more than playing because before Jason's always played off Jalen as a pull up threat. Now he needs to figure out how to play off him when Jalen's leading the line, penetrating, drawing fouls, maybe that, and that little wrinkle within the Celtics offense. If those two can figure out how to play play off each other, now Jalen's becoming this ridiculously good driving threat. That's going to elevate their offense as well. So there's a few things I want to see. I mean, while we're talking free throw attempts, Tatum hasn't had one yet. I don't understand why he's been driving a bit more too. Um, a lot of people were moaning about the ISO ball that the Celtics were playing um, against the Nets and the Bucks. I think the ISO ball's actually been less prevalent in these two games than it was during the playoffs, but I don't know if you agree there. You think it should have been seen less in these last couple of games? So you said? I th- no, I think we've seen a little bit less ISO. I'm not saying it wasn't prevalent. It was still a big part of their offense, but I feel like they've toned it down a notch compared to what we saw against Miami in the playoffs. Yeah, which I think, you know, is just a little bit of like Miami's a really switchable team. I think we saw it a little bit against Brooklyn, who was switching fairly as well. Um, but yeah, there's there's a flow to the offense a bit. And there's there's this clear hierarchy that keeps getting um, nailed down. And yeah, you did. You, you wrote about a grade and you hear Brad talk about it a bunch. Um, yeah, so. Do you know it, what though? Yeah. One thing I want to point out before we move on to a couple of other guys I want to talk about is there was a stint in the third when KD went off and KD was nailing everything that let go of his hands that Jason decided to go shot for shot with, with KD. Did you, did you see that? Yeah. And to me, that's one thing I want Jason to get out of. You don't need to go shot for shot with the opposing team's best player. Use the offense. Use Trust your teammates to make their shots and play like play as a unit because that was when that 9-0 run happened. And for me, that was the turning point in the game when Jason was trying to um, be the man and go head to head with KD. While it's great for fans to watch from a basketball standpoint, you, to me, that's Jason saying, everybody else, I got this. I don't trust you guys to make a shot to keep us in this game. Then that's the first bad thing I think I've ever said about Tatum in my life. Um, <laughs> it, it was definitely something that stuck out to me as, that is the last thing I want to see Tatum doing because that means he's buying into his own hype. Yeah, for me, I think it's just so game to game. Like if if he's been on one and the other guys are struggling and, you know, that's fairly often, I feel like, if not often, like, I mean, there's definitely cases where, you know, 30 times a year that's happening. And I think that he is like that level of player where he gets to do it. I mean, you should. Yeah, but not when Jalen Brown's like on a tear himself, yeah. you know? No, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with I don't you. Mind if if you there's somebody it. else going and it's just going to be Jalen or Kemba, then you need to be giving it up. Yeah, I don't mind it for two or three possessions. I honestly don't. If you want to go head to head with the team's best, the opposing team's best scorer for two or three possessions, that's fun basketball. Give it me every game. I'm fine with it. But on the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh possession, move the ball a little bit because now it's just becoming your turn, my turn. I Especially always, if it's not working. Yeah, which it wasn't. You know, I think the right. first two fouled, the third didn't. So we tried on the fourth. I'm cool with that. You've made two or three. Do what you got to do. If it doesn't fall on the fourth, now look for Jalen. Now look for whoever else is on the corner. You know what I'm saying? Make the smart read. And that to me was the very big turning point in this game. Uh, that nine yeah. point deficit quickly got out of hand in the fourth. It's just something that I noticed that I kind of thought was a. I didn't think it was uncharacteristic for Tatum to go a couple of possessions head for head. But once it got into the fifth and sixth possession, I was like, this is very uncharacteristic and I want it to stop right now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, him and Jalen are going to be the ones taking pretty much all the shots at the end of games while Kemba's out. Right. Um, But it just needed to be more of a balance between the two. Yeah. And Um, it wasn't the end of the game. This was the third quarter. So there there definitely should have been a bit more balance. Like I say, two, three possessions I'm cool with. If you've made two or three, go for your fourth. Fifth and sixth, move the ball a little bit more, get guys involved, make sure the guy, the other guys that are hot, such as Jalen, don't start to call off while you're on your superhero tangent. Yeah, and you know, a uh, guy that's really been preaching his shot selection and focusing on that this year, you've also pointed out a lot, uh, Marcus, right? He's He doesn't seem to be, I mean, we've only seen two games, but for him to only take two threes in game one, it was like, whoa, this is, this is a little different. Yeah, then he had a stretch in the Nets game where he took three shots in one minute. 
Yeah. So, which is true, but but nobody was hitting anything. Like it, it was too much, and he just kind of reverted to him old self. But I, like, it it, it was, was literally three shots in one minute. He took a three. It didn't <laughs> go. Someone got an offensive rebound. Fed him the ball. He took another shot. It didn't go. They fed him the ball. He drove the lane and tried to attack. If you miss the first three, and you get it back. Fine. Drive the lane. See what you can make happen. Don't take three shots in one minute. That's ridiculous, dude. There's four yeah. other guys on the court and three of them are probably better scorers than you. Yeah, I think it's just a little bit of Marcus, you know, falling back into it a tiny bit. But, you know, if, if like that wasn't great, but it was a minute of the game. And I think aside from that minute in these last two games, he's been pretty controlled. No, completely, yeah. And I'll agree and I'll give credit where credit's due. I think that when he's playing within the floor of the offense the way he has been and when he's selecting his shots the way he has been, his defense is always that that level above, you know. He always makes up for his lack of offensive output on D, and that's where his true value is. Which is why I keep preaching: I don't care if he gets four, six, eight points a game, as long as he's an All NBA level defensive guard, which he has been. But I always feel like when he's on his, you know, he's I'm Mister Steph, I'm Steph Curry number two. His defense falls off a little bit because he's always trying to leak out to become that offensive output, that outlet. Sorry. But that, that three shots in one minute, I found more comical than I did frustrating. Yeah, no, totally reasonable. Um, what other guys do you want to get to here? I want to go to your favorite guy, your favorite player in the entire league in the history of life. Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> Anyone listening who hasn't listened in a while, Brendan does not like Peyton Pritchard. Hey, well, you know, I like. I, I hope the guy does well. It's just not the pick I would have taken. Um, and... I don't know like we've seen some good we've seen some bad i feel like there's been a bit more good than bad his defense looks smart i mean he's had a steal he reads the passing lanes better than what i thought he does but he just gets ran through every time like well that's what happens when you're little dude yeah but like this is just yeah yeah i mean we said the same thing about campbell walker people have said it his entire career for sure still a multi-time all-star i'm not saying pritchard will be yeah but the issue was more the lineups with teague probably where i was frustrated i think it was in the milwaukee game and it's like Pritchard's guarding Middleton right now? Are you Pritchard's, you know, I mean, like, Pritchard's range is no joke, dude. That that looks real. Yeah, he can shoot the ball. And, you know, he had some shots that I think uh, or moments of, you know, kind of within the flow of the offense, catching it and getting a screen. And it's almost a quick little pick and roll action that happens um, when he gets swung to him that didn't fall, but he looks comfortable. And I think that'll be kind of his game. Um, yeah, he intrigues me on offense, and especially if you get him going in transition. Um that Still. floater looks real as well. I feel like that floater's quite controlled. Yeah, it might be there. It, it might, might be, be there. Brendan's like, this dude is not going to be good. I'm not wasting any more air. No, I mean, he could be. He could be. He could be a backup point guard. I mean, I would laugh if he developed into one of the better guards, better backup guards in the East and you had to eat crow on this. You know, I hope he does. I really do. I just don't think he does. Honestly, I don't think he does, but I think he becomes a very reliable third guard on a roster. Yeah. Uh, his ball handling, his ability to re- um, read an offense, his ability to score so f- from so deep. And then if this float is real as well, then he's a multi-level scorer that can um, facilitate out of the pick and roll. And then if he's your third string guard, then you, you kind of live with that defensive liability because you've got two other guards in front of him. He just, yes, I'm with you. Um, I just, he hasn't really been like the third string guard. He's kind of like the backup two guard, like, or he's in the backup guard lineup with Teague. Um, yeah, and I mean, when Kemba's come back, does that change? I mean, Brad Stevens is yeah. running him at the two a lot more than he's running him at the one. Well, and I would just love for all those minutes to go to Romeo. Well, yeah, but Romeo is injured at the moment. Right, obviously, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if Romeo was healthy and in that spot. Those minutes will be Romeo's because Romeo gives you more on D. And Brad Stevens yep. will value that. But I think that Brad Stevens is going to continually... He definitely trusts Pritchard more than he trusts Neesmith at the moment. Yes, but there's also less depth at that spot. That's true. That's true. But you I, I think you're right sli- still, You can always slide a couple of guys down to the two to find... If you wanted... If you trusted Neesmith, then you would jiggle yeah. your rotations and you would find minutes for Neesmith. It's not impossible. For sure. You know what I mean? I know the depth is there, but a lot of that depth is able to be slid down to the two or up to the four. 
you can move guys around to make those minutes. And for the fact that we haven't seen much of Neesmith does tell me that Brad doesn't trust him as much as what he trusts Pritchard at the moment, regardless of the depth levels again, because you can move guys up or down to make those minutes. Yeah. And I think the trust level on both of them is honestly really low right now. Um, even if Pritchard's is higher than Neesmith's, even just for the fact that what they've been with this roster for has it been two, three weeks. You know, like yeah, a month. It's like, four, at yeah, most. it's like a month at most. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, could just come with a little bit of time, but haven't really gotten a chance to see anything from him and Shemi's same old. Um, yeah, but I think that Did you know you the, say the, Shemi's same old. Shemi had his best offensive game in the Celtics uniform against the Nets. <laughs> I mean, I know that's bad when there's only nine points, but in terms of aggression. <laughs> Yeah, like the aggression. He was driving baseline. He was attacking guys. He went for that jam over Jarrett Allen. Didn't get the jam, got the rebound, and then got the finish. Like if he shows that level of aggression in uh, for the rest of the season, there's going to be a role for him because he'll make things happen. We've been, I've been saying for about a season now, and a lot of people disagreed with me that the biggest improvement Shemi could make was start driving closeouts because everybody just knows he's a corner-free guy. If you, And if he can drive closeouts and use his body and get those bump layups to start falling, then he's going to have more production opportunities. So um, this, this bump in aggression, to me, someone sat down to Shemi and said, look, if you suck this year, then you're going to find yourself somewhere in Europe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, at least probably not back on Boston. Maybe you get a Flyers. <clears throat> Excuse me somewhere else in the league. But yeah, I mean, he's got to know that this is a, a big uh, swing year for him for sure. And yeah, I don't know. Um, there, there was bits of aggression. You're right. Um, when, when the team was really struggling to find some offense, but I don't know. I feel like there were brief moments of it last year too. So I just need to see it a little bit more. Um, oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm not disputing that. Yeah. But I see where you're coming from. Uh, what else you want to touch on here? I mean, I don't think there's anyone else to touch on. I mean, we could touch on Tatum. A lot of people have disliked his um his shot selection in the last two games. I'm not I'm not on that train. I feel like his shot selection has been quite good actually. Um, I'd like to see him draw contact a little bit more. I touched on that earlier in this episode. Uh, I'd like to see him ISO a little bit less. And for, what shocked me is he's run, he's running the pick and roll, but he's not looking for drop off dump like drop off passes much. He seems to be running it and then looking to score. So for somebody that, you know, everybody was saying his next step is as a facilitator, as a playmaker, I want to see that a little bit more, make defense respect you as a ball handler, which should then open up pull-up opportunities. Yeah, and I think, you know, back to the whole, like, clear hierarchy, I think, you know, Tatum being told, like, assuming this happened, like, hey, you're, you're the guy on this team. And I know that was kind of the case last year, but you still had Kemp freaking Walker. You know what I mean? Um so, yeah, I think that a little bit of a new role could take some adjusting. And, yeah, he's looking to be more aggressive. And, obviously, you see Jalen doing the same thing. And at some point, they'll find a balance that, that works for this roster of, you know, uh, choosing their, their moments to strike themselves or set up some of their teammates. Um, and, and one other thing I'll throw out there is, you know, for a team that was really touted as – a defensive team is kind of how I view Boston. And I, I know, you know, maybe that's because I think their offense really struggles. Like, I don't think they've been a top five defense in these last two games. Um, and it's far from saying they can be that. I still think they're a top five defense. Um, it's mainly this Brooklyn game. And, you know, you're playing what could end up being the best offense in the league. So I don't know how much you want to put into it. But there were moments where, like, yeah, Boston actually just had no answer. And I think that you could have tried a couple different things, and I'm probably going back to, you know, mainly this whole Tristan Thompson KD thing. But, like, when you're a defensive-focused team and you just can't get a stop for, you know, four minutes, it's a rough look. Yeah, and that's the problem, right? I mean – I still think they're quite undersized. It's gone from being undersized at the four and five to undersized at the one and two. And yeah. And Romeo coming back would do a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have a long a, time, but it would do a bunch. Uh, but in terms of like the league's guard orientated, you're always going to have primary creators with the ball in their hand that are taller than what the Celtics have. So th- there's a lot for that, in my opinion. Um, in terms of defense, in terms of the size of the guards that, you're asking people like 
uh, Teague and Pritchard and Smart to guard. Not so much Smart because Smart's, you know, he's transcends yeah. size. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I do kind of believe it. But I do think that there is definitely a lack of size at the one and two now until Romeo comes back. I, do, I still think they could be a top five defense. Their schemes are always quite good. They're not flying around on rotations as much as what I have seen them in previous years. They seem to be keying in on one guy and then switching when the switch is required rather than just switching everything to get their best on ball defender onto whoever's driving the lane. I don't know if that's by design. I don't know whether Brad Stevens feels like they've got better man-to-man defenders this year but I would like to see a little bit more rotation happening. And the only thing is when I have seen those rotations happen, the same thing happens. The the ball works itself around the perimeter until it finds an open guy that last game was regularly Kevin Durant or Joe Harris, both of which will just light you up. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So just a little bit of concern right now, but you know, nothing, nothing too bad. I think we both kind of were expecting O two 2 in the first two games. So to steal the first one on a, let's be real, like crazy lucky Tatum shot. Um, like, and Boston put himself in a situation to win the game, obviously. So credit to them for being in a spot for, you know, one shot to be able to make the difference. Um, this, is, this is still a good outcome to the start of the year. I think there's things that need to be figured out. Um, my <laughs> scariest thing is this Teague Pritchard lineups. But yeah, it'll, it's fine. I mean, I'm going to really enjoy Tatum and, and Jalen really clearly being the guys like every single night and knowing that. I mean, the first thing I want to say is on the last episode we did, we did say that the Celtics is ending the first two games at 0-2. They split it one-on-one. That's a win Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I feel like they've got the talent and the depth level to go um, 2-0 and against the Pacers in the next back-to-back, which starts today. Am I right? It's two games against the Pacers now, right? It does, yeah. And by the way, by the way, I think these back-to-back games are going to be so fun. Yeah, dude, it's like instant revenge. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, I, the Sacramento and Phoenix play their second game today, and yesterday Fox and Booker were going at it, talking a bunch of crap and texts, and then they play again the next night. Like you're going to see that happen throughout the year, and I think it's so much fun. Yeah, I can just see some guys getting real heated, man. Some of these more uh, emotional guys that got their their bottoms whooped. In and I think good, games. good coaches, sorry, I know we're kind of closing out, but random thought. I think good coaches are going to matter a lot in those because it's going to be all about the adjustments you make from one game to the next. Yeah, so it's funny you should say that. I had a, a discussion with somebody on Twitter yesterday who was saying they think that the value of coaches is overblown among fans and analysts. And my argument back was the, uh, the level of coaching ability matters most when you have to scheme for changes and... Um, adjustments is the words I'm looking for. So the, the coaching ability matters most in playoffs where you have to adjust for the opponent making adjustments themselves, where you change matchups, where you try and outsmart each other, right? Yeah. And this season, as you say, is going to ha- that's going to happen in a regular season. So yeah, I think this year is going to be a year for um, the better and smarter coaches to shine more than it usually would. And I mean, Boston's working with Brad Stevens, so... He was getting a, a very short end of the stick at the moment. No, I mean, there were even quotes from him about the whole Tristan Thompson guarding KD thing that, you know, Thompson was on a minute restriction. So him, throwing him out there at the beginning of the game while Stevens even admitted it probably wasn't the most um, ideal matchup compared to some of the other guys on the roster. It was like, yeah, so what if Thompson catches a few fouls at the beginning of the game against KD? Like he's on a restriction anyways, like, Brad Stevens has always been a guy to play with lineups a lot. And And I think that's where he gets a lot of the hate right now. People are forgetting that Brad Stevens will experiment up until the... So much. Yeah, up until the All-Star break, you're going to see... You'll probably see Tristan Thompson guard, I don't know, Steph Curry for 20 minutes just to see what happens. Brad Stevens takes the first half of the season as experiments only, and he takes note and knows... He basically wants to see what every player on his roster's limitations are for that year. So judging him and calling for his neck and saying he's a bad coach after two games when you should know by now, what's this, his seventh or eighth year in the team? Yeah, I mean, he's been here a while, dude. So when you're saying, like, oh, I don't know why he's done this, this didn't make any sense, dude, this isn't, this isn't the first rodeo, this isn't Steven's first season as coach. You should, you should already expect him to be making these crazy calls because he's experimenting, this is what he does. And wow, he was hired in 2013. Holy. 
Yeah, so this is like, yeah, so 2020 is his seventh year. So at the end of the day, you should be more than accustomed to Brad Stevens making some funky rotations, some funky yeah. guarding lineups, because that's what he does for the first half of the season. I'm not yeah. going to read in too deep to it. And I think the amount of hate he gets and the amount that how short people's memories are from what he's achieved as a coach of the Celtics is, uh, is quite shocking to me personally. And I think that viewers, fans could look at it and, you know, just do a bit of your own, oh, hey, this is new. Let's see if I like this or not. You know, like personally, like I, I see why, it, you know, it's just going to depend on the style of basketball you like that like Pritchard and Teague could be fun to guys that, that really like a lot of shooting and, and speed and, and offense, you know, but I hate the lineup because I'm a defensive guy and that's where I like have interest in this Tice Thompson lineup. So I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of variety based on what you enjoy uh, watching basketball, but with everything that Stevens throws out there, I, I think it gives a lot of the fans a chance to kind of build some of their own opinions with, with these wonky things that are just getting tried. Yeah, and I'm I'm cool with that. I can live with that because I know that once it comes to crunch time, once the business end of the season rolls around, that you'll start to see what the Celtics really are this year, what lineup Stevens has figured out, how how he knows yeah. they're going to work. And they'll ha- and he'll have, you know, two or three new things that he figured out because he was willing to try. And that maybe led to losing three games throughout the regular year, but it adds a lot of versatility to your playoff squad. Yeah, and this is the thing that I just there's a lot of what have you done for me lately that's going on at the moment around the Celtics um, in general, in terms of fan bases. Like, and I'm not just saying Twitter. I mean, I'm, I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups. I'm on the Reddit forums. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram. I see a lot of hate towards Brad Stevens from multiple corners. And what shocks me is the people that support Stevens hate Ainge. There's like, there's, it's just a, it's really, <laughs> it's really perplexing to me, especially after two games in. Like, I just feel like that's quite uh, short-sighted. You and I have hopped around, you know, covering different teams. And I, I cover Sacramento a lot, too. And let me tell you, like, having a poor, I guess would be a way to say it, front office and coaching staff, like, really infects the rest of the roster. Like, you know, you see people like Isaiah Thomas come into Sac- to Boston and revitalize their career. It, meanwhile, Sacramento, you see George Hill go there and be absolutely horrible compared to how he was before because of the environment, the, the coaching staff and, and, you know, some of the front office, maybe not putting people in their most ideal situations. Like people just need to remember how good Boston has it when it comes to that. Stevens for his shortcomings with stars is really able to ideally utilize role players skills in a way that, a lot of people in the league are not great at, and Danny Ainge is good at getting Stevens the type of players that he wants. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going on a little rant because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to question Stevens and Ainge. They are gods. That's probably as far going as too I'm far. concerned. <laughs> it's probably going a bit too far with where I'm concerned, but I definitely think that. You know, there's been a lot of success in the Celtics franchise. I know that fans um, of Boston sports are generally like, we play to win. If you don't, you know, if you're not first, you're last. It's a very Ricky Bobby sort of attitude. Um, I know that's a movie you like, Brendan, which is why I've quoted it. One of the few, yeah. One of the few movies Brendan's seen. Um, but no, yeah, definitely. I feel like you need to give the team, you need to give both of those guys the credit they deserve. And just lay off a little bit like, this is a young roster. I mean, I don't understand why people think that this roster is championship ready or at this moment in time, because I genuinely don't. I think there's probably a year or two away until they're contending, contention, um, legitimate contenders. And who yeah. knows by then KD and Kyrie might've got sick of each other and moved on. Hey, and um, anything can happen in a year. You know, Toronto was not a championship team the year they won. I mean, just, and we'll end on this then. Now you've just brought up Toronto winning and that came off the back of a trade for a superstar. There's a superstar available that a lot of people are saying the Celtics should trade for. His name is James Harden. He loves the strip clubs. I <laughs> got a fabulous beard. Fantastic Please beard. no. I am completely and utterly not on that train. Yeah, like honestly, I, I, I don't know. I guess I could, I could get it. 
but I'm not even bothering to break, like dive into it on how, you know, Tatum and Harden would work together and like analyze this because I like personally, I just don't want to watch that. I want to watch Jalen and Jason grow together throughout a majority of their career together. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, my outlook on it is Harden has had some amazing talents around him and, uh, you know, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, he's had, um, Dwight Howard, not prime Dwight Howard, but not Dwight Howard that you get now. Yeah. You know, he's had some great players around him and he's never been able to make it work. I understand Brad Stevens is an <laughs> he innovator. Got, he got really close though. Yeah, he multiple did. times. He, they were like a Chris Paul injury away. Um, was it an injury? It was, weren't it? Chris yeah. Paul got hurt. Yeah, 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 in game six. Yeah. Hamstring. So like they were really close. And look. James Harden put himself in the shot window with 14 assists in game in his first game for Houston this season, uh, along with 44 points. But 44 yeah. and 14 in a loss is still 44 and 14. Casually, yeah. Was yeah. it single or it was single or double overtime as well? Yeah, which people need to put value into that too. Um, I just don't know. The, the Celtics don't need another isolation scorer for me. I just don't think they do. It's just all about. Like, I don't know, because you have the defense that I guess you could surround it. And, you know, like I see... And Harden's actually a better defender than what people give him credit for. Yeah, if you surround him with a good defense, you know. Um, But I don't know. Is two or three years of Harden worth losing the next six to ten years of Jalen? No, and this is the thing, right? Is that like you're saying? It's two or three years. You're you're you don't want to re-sign Harden after that deal because he's going to get max money and he is questionably worth it, especially towards the end of that deal. You know what I mean? Like you're you're paying for two years of what should be a championship contender, and like I just don't. Yeah, maybe maybe it is honestly, but I personally vote against it. I think you don't say it's worth it or it's not worth it until the end of those two or three years to see if you've won a title or not. Yeah, I understand what people are saying. Like, if you want to get past the Nets, then you need two superstars of your own, and maybe being around, maybe playing alongside Harden puts Jason Tatum in that superstar status. The same way as Kyrie to me is in a top ten guy, but now he's playing off of KD. He is a top 10 guy because your teammates matter. Your ability to play off somebody can elevate your level of play yourself. So to me, that's a, that's a big thing. Like could playing off of Harden improve Tatum or could it hinder him? I'm just, I'm not on that. I'm not on that train because I'm very much like, this is a homegrown team through the draft. I feel like they've, the Celtics have built the right way. And I understand that you do that so you can swing for a superstar even when the opportunity arises. But I'm just like, there was a superstar a year year ago in AD. There's a superstar this year in Harden. There'll be other superstars that make more sense down the road. And maybe you don't have to give up Jalen to get them. Right. And, well, Jason's a superstar. Like, Like, to me, Jason can be the number one guy on a championship team. So you don't need to go get another one. Get get me really good compliments. You know, and don't yeah, and have if to you sell want the farm trade, for it. If you want to trade for an air quote star, you know, a top 20 guy, then trade for a top 20 guy that can play the four or five because that's what the team really needs. Or yeah. better yet, improve your scouting department and go and find one of those guys in the draft. Figure out a way to flip a couple of you young guys that you don't think you're going to find time to develop and get a good draft pick for next season. Yeah. Do you know and, what I mean? And you, you give up Harden, you're giving up even more depth. Like, I would rather you give me, and I know it doesn't straight up work like this, two or three role players that are $8 million a year guys compared to one. Uh, that's probably not fair. It's probably yeah. role players that are about 12 million, you know, 12 to 15 range. Um, but like the point is I would rather just increase the depth for what it's going to cost you. I'd rather focus on increasing the depth of the roster than shaking up the top. And I agree there. I agree. I'm, I'm not on this hardened trade. I don't want to lose Jaden. I feel like there's going like, like I say, my, my biggest thing is if you want to swing a trade and you want to improve a certain position, then take stock of what you've got. Take stock of the young guys, the second, first, second and third year guys on the team. And be honest with yourself, like, who can we not develop because of who are in front of them? Let's package these guys together and go and get ourselves a, a lottery pick for net, for the upcoming draft that is stacked. And let's go that way. That's for yeah. me, is going to be, to me, that's the better option. Like, 
You know, if you don't think you're going to find time to develop Neesmith, if you don't think you're, you know, if you're completely and utterly washed up on Carson Edwards, which every man in their dog should be at this point, put them together. Who else don't you want to develop? Who else aren't, isn't going to get time? Move them. Find a, a way to get a draft pick. And that, to me, is going to be more beneficial um, for the Celtics' like long-term window, you know, having a window of contention that's more than a two-year period then it would be trading for Harden. And if it doesn't work in two years, now you've got to blow everything up. Yeah, which meanwhile, you know, two years from now, um, you would think Jalen and Jason are obviously still around and all of a sudden Romeo is a damn good player. So is Grant Williams. Um, and, you know, maybe Time Lord becomes something and whatever draft pick that you're talking about that maybe comes in next year um, is a serious contributor as well. Like there is, there's a lot of, interesting ways that Boston really looks uh, interesting down the line. Um, but I think that's all I got here, man. You know, the, the last thing I wanted to close with, I don't know if we mentioned the Tommy Heinsohn thing before, but obviously rest of Tommy Heinsohn and then the Casey Jones passing that just happened recently as well. Uh, two obviously very big names in Celtics community and history. And yeah, just um, rough week and rest in peace to those two legends. Yeah, I concur with that. Casey Jones, Tommy Heinsohn. And both embody the Celtics tradition. They were both instrumental in multiple championships. Um, I don't even know what to say. So I'm just going to end it. I'm going to agree with your sentiments and uh, rest in peace. And guys, we will be back on Wednesday. Wednesday, Brendan? I think so. We've been yeah, doing Wednesday. this for a long time and I still forget what days. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> we'll be back on Wednesday. If, you, if you're listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on, um, and hit, leave a five-star written review. If it's not a five-star written review, then just don't leave one because, you know, if you ain't got nothing nice to say... Don't say anything at all. Uh, I just kind of threw that out there to see if you'd catch it, see what I'm doing, setting Brendan up. Um, yeah. Follow us on Twitter at Brendan Nunez NBA at Adam Taylor NBA. I'm on Instagram too, same handle. I'm pretty much anywhere where social media lives. And we will catch you again Wednesday. Have a great week. Um, we haven't touched on the paces because we're recording before their play, but let's hope it's a W so the Celtics are two and one at that point. Peace. Peace. One thirteen to one oh four. Final score. Boston wins. Calling it. Get those bets on. <laughs>